Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 257, recorded November 3rd, 2021. Hey, it's November. Cool. I'm Brian Aachen. I'm Michael Kennedy. I'm Morley Sicarbo. Well, welcome, Morley. Um, we haven't even really met other than a few seconds ago, so can you tell us right. who you are? <laughs> yeah, my name is Morley Sicarbo, and uh, I met Michael Kennedy a couple of weeks ago at a Pi Bay event. Um, in San Francisco. A fantastic Pi Bay event. For people who cannot see it, <laughs> they should go to PiBay.com and just see the graphics. This is the conference outside at a food cart area. So awesome. So great to see you there. Right. And so I, I help um, um, Grace Law organize that event. Uh, she and I have been working over the past couple of years, and uh, it's, 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 it's a fantastic community. And um, I've been in San Francisco for the past three years, and I'm actually, I work for the defense department and um, I do, I lead a software development team and we work on optimizing software processes. And on the weekends, I'm a martial pilot. So I do fly and I do teach uh, student pilots. So that's generally speaking who I am. Wow, that's so awesome. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> oh, my side job is a professional pilot. Yeah. <laughs> In including jets, right? <laughs> yeah. I do fly uh, uh, a couple corporate jets. That wow. sounds so fun. Um, I think neat. that's so neat. Um, you know, it's good to get away from the keyboard and the offices, especially when with COVID happening and everything's harder to get out around. Like you really get away. You get up in the sky. I, I do get away. And, uh, but you got to be careful, right? Because you're going across um, different ecosystem, right? So you got to make sure that you're well protected, that you take in all the precautions that are required to uh, not get sick. But um, it's an adventure. I do like to get around sometimes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and Teddy out the live stream says, you invited James Bond. I think, I think we may have actually. Yeah. How's it? Where do you park your Austin Martin? No, seriously. Let's, <laughs> let's kick this off, Brian. With something also more like, you also right. are involved with Django stuff, right? In San Francisco? Uh, yes. Uh, just a little bit. Um, by the way, first off, I do want to say thank you very much, Michael. So many years ago, I was overseas and um, I was in Qatar at the time and I got started uh, learning how to code. And Python was the language that was, 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 at least from my perspective, you know, something I could use in my data science perspective. And uh, working with you uh, through uh, Talk Python to me was extremely helpful for me, learning how to code, uh, just, just being with a community. And I think that was extremely helpful. It's, it's, gotten me, it's gotten me in different places only because I learned and started to learn how to code and, and got involved with uh, your uh, podcast many years ago. So thank you for That's that. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I, I really, it means a lot. And it's easy to forget Brian and I just sit here at our desk and chat about stuff, but it really helps connect people, especially if they're new or they're coming from places where there's not a, a big community they can drop into. It, it helps people get more integrated quicker. And I think that's yeah, fantastic. And it's, it's just the way you guys talk, right? I mean, it's just, uh, you're talking to me as opposed to talking to a, an audience or, you know, a group of large, you know, you know, crowd or something like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm listening to a podcast and I'm going, uh, this is relatable and I can actually go out and, 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 and do a little bit more research on a package on a topic that you guys are talking about. So it's, it's really yeah. good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Fantastic. Speaking of packages, let's talk about Django. Yeah. Let's, let's start with Django here. So I don't do that much Django. I do more on the micro framework side of things, but Django is super important. And when cool stuff happens there, I want to make sure to give it a shout out. So we're Django 4. I mean, a beta, but still Django 4. Morley, have you been tracking this? Are you excited about this? I am tracking it. I'm excited about it. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it's super cool. So 
Django 4.0 beta one was released. I feel like it was Django one for a really long time <laughs> and then Django two. And then, you know, what? you know, blow the doors off. We're going three, right. four, five, six, right? We're going to be at Django 20 soon enough. Right. But this is really good news. Uh, the beta one, so means feature freeze, bug fixes only type of thing is out. And if you're interested in this, you can try it out now. Uh, notable changes here for what's coming along. First of all, it's only compatible with Python 3.8 and beyond, which is pretty fantastic. And if you want older support, as in all the way back to 3.6, you got to go back to Django 3 series, 3.2. So I think that's pretty interesting as well, the sort of rapid adoption of new Python, right? This is like two years of Python and not more. So things that are new, there's stuff about time zones, which I'm not going to bore you with, but database stuff is cool, right? One of the things that I think... J Django is really renowned for is its web front end plus database integration, right? Wouldn't you yeah. say so, Morley? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's the, not just the, well, you have an ORM that's built in, but you've got the admin sections that know about the models and all kinds of stuff. We're actually going to come back to that uh, as well later in this episode. But one of the new things is functional unique constraints. So like I can only insert this record if there's not already one that matches, say the email address for a user. So now what you can do is you can um, create functionally unique constraints with expressions and database functions. So for example, you could have a, an index, which is a unique constraint where you have the lowercase of the first name, the lowercase of the second name descending, I guess for the index bit, but that doesn't really matter for the constraint. And then you can give it a name like first name, last name must be unique constraint. And so that's yes. pretty awesome, right? You can say, I can't have two users with the same name. I'm not sure how practical that is, but you know, as an example, it makes good sense. Yeah. Poor, poor Joe Smith or Michael Kennedy for that matter, like probably going to not make it in after a couple hundred thousand users. Let's see, they have the script password hasher. So you, you do not hopefully you are not storing raw <laughs> passwords. Every time I see a website that says, your password cannot be more than eight characters, I'm like, that better not be a Varchar 8 field. I don't know <laughs> what you're doing, but I'm starting to get really worried because the size of the output of a hash is always the same size, regardless of the input. Uh, anyway, so new password hasher that's more secure and recommended over what was previously the default of PBKDF2, right? It's, however, not the default because you have to now install OpenSSL 1.0 or above, which is not super high, but it's still not super new version. All right. Then Redis, there's now a dedicated built-in Redis cache as the caching tier. So you can set up caching in Django and say cache here. Now one of the options is Redis. Yes, you could do that previously, but now it's like a built-in thing. So you don't have to do that outside of. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool, right? That's very cool. Yeah. And uh, then uh, template-based form rendering. So enhanced customization of forms, form sets, errors list, and so on using the template engine. So pretty cool. Not a huge bunch of changes, but they all sound really nice. Yeah, the support the support of which Python versions is pretty big. But I mean, come on, people. Uh, it's an application. You can pick your whatever Python version you want. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. Out there in the live stream, Alvaro, hey, says, I guess that dropping versions helps to reduce the number of wheels to build and also to test, right? Probably so CI is probably faster. You can take advantage of some of the newer things and just count on them being there, which is great. Yeah. 
Also, speaking of versions, <laughs> Sam Morley. Hey, Sam. Great to see you again. says, getting my boss to agree to drop Python 3.4 was a task. <laughs> That's It's been a while since 3.4 is out. I actually remember, I think, where I was. I was out in uh, Redlands, California when that came out, which is pretty interesting. Anyway, don't know why that came to my mind. Uh, is this stuff exciting to you, Morley? Someone does more Django than probably Brian or me? Uh, no, it's very exciting to me. Just just being able to see uh, just the iterations of um, Django is is very very um, helpful to the community. I started with uh, Django three, so this is uh, this few iterations have been very helpful, especially Redis. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, the Redis is exciting. Yeah, yeah, for sure, right? Well, um, I have to apologize. I don't remember who pushed us this way, but somebody on Twitter said, "Hey, you guys should maybe talk about." Uh, Pi once in a while, like just <laughs> Pi itself, the PY, the application. Um, so uh, Pi or Pi.exe, it's a, the Python launcher. Um, this has been bundled with Python 3.3. Uh, so it's been there for a while, but I've kind, to be honest, I bit kind of ignored it because it's a Windows only thing. And I work in multiple, I do work on Windows, but I also work in Mac and uh, Linux and multiple environments. So I, I really don't want to change my workflow just for one. So but the idea is um, is that you just type pi and it picks the latest version that you have installed on your system. Um, it's kind of neat, but um, I don't I didn't really get the get the feel for it. But then uh, but then Brett Cannon wrote this thing called Pi Launcher that is the same thing, um, but it works on Mac and it works on Linux and it works on a whole bunch of other stuff like Arch Linux and. Uh, really anything that Rust can run on, I think it, it works on, which is like almost everything. So this is pretty, uh, this is pretty neat, but why is it neat? So I'm like, still, why did Brett spend time making this work? And so I started changing my workflow for this. And I gotta say, it's kind of life-changing. The big thing is I don't have to care where Python's installed anymore. So I have this set up on my, on my Mac. I've got it set up on, I, I, included it in the install on windows. And then you just say, uh, pi, like for instance, you can say pi dash dash list and you get like all of the, uh, I don't have the example here, but you get all of the, the versions listed out and, um, and it lists, it tells you where they are too, but you don't really have to care. Um, and in the pi launcher version on Linux or Mac, it shows the paths right away on the windows version. You have to say list paths, but it's still pretty easy if you want to know where they are. But basically, you don't have to care where things are anymore. So, if, and I also don't have to care where they are in the path, like in my path variable. So, uh, the Python version I want is it the first one, the second one? Did did somebody did I install something and mess it up? Like if I py, install Python three ten, but I also want to test on three six, so I installed three six later. Where does that show up in the path? I don't have to care anymore uh, because my workflow is to is mostly around virtual environments. So I say like Python dash M V and V and I create a virtual environment and I create it with the most recent Python version, no matter where they are in the path, where they're located. <coughs> and then if I want to test like a three, eight, something on three, eight or three, nine, I can either, I can just type uh pi dash 3.8 or 3.9. And then it just automatically runs that version. So I can run a script in Python three, eight easily like that, or I can run it with, um, I can create a virtual environment, a 3.8 virtual environment really easily. Uh, and then uh, then I, I still don't, basically I don't have to care where things are installed anymore. And I love that. So yeah. The other great. thing that I really like, sorry if I missed you hearing you say this, is 
once you create the virtual environment, subsequent calls to Pi will use that environment long as you're either in that directory or in a subdirectory of or under it. So you don't have to activate the virtual environment. Like long mm. as traversing up the the hierarchy hits a dot v v e and v directory. It's like okay, that's the that's the most appropriate Python. Does it work that way? That's what it says. And like, see the code sample right there. Look right underneath the um, what's the next paragraph? Right, it says mm. uh, subsequent uses of Pi will then use that virtual environment as long as it is the current or higher directory. No environment activation required. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah, very yeah. cool. That's very yeah, cool. It's so nice because that way you can set up your file system. You don't have to remember to activate it. Like certainly not common, but it is not also uncommon that I'm like pip install this thing. Oh, it went to the wrong place. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Con configuration is extremely important, right? So this is this is very good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. And, and ZDocs out in the live stream. Hey, says what's the main difference uh, from this to Pi EMV? I think that that's one of them, right? Pi EMV, you've got to do Pi EMV run. You've got to like start the shell, and, and it's kind of. And I think this one. It's sort of, it's more like node packages or node modules. Like if, as long as it finds something there, like, okay, that's the project I'm in. Let's run. Yeah. And PyEMV does these shim things to change which, which you can set up, which one you find. And I just, that, I don't, it, that makes it weird to me. It makes my, my system have state that I have to remember. That's what true. I did. Yeah. 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 We've activated Python 3.7. So now that's, it stays that way yeah. until you change it. Right. Okay. So. Anyway, uh, this has changed my life for the better, and it's uh, it's great. So thanks, Brett. And, yeah. and now I use it on Windows, too. So Fantastic. All right. Up next. Oh, I almost closed <laughs> closed <laughs> what you're talking about, Marley. <laughs> yeah, you're on the data science side of the world yeah. right now. So bring us some data science news. No, this is good, right? So this is the State of AI Report 2021. It's a pretty extensive uh, report that comes out every year, just surveying across the world, really, just the trends on, on data science. And, and so at the very top there, uh, it has the actual report. It's a, it's a PowerPoint version. But um, in this report, it highlights just the, uh, the, the need for transformers being used, not just for NLP, right? So for, you know, looking at text, but it's also looking at um, uh, audio. It's also looking at video. And it's also looking at like, you know, protein transcription, for example. So it's um, transformers are going beyond um, what they were intended to be, which was just primarily just um, NLP. So, right. Yeah. Uh, give us a quick definition of a transformer. This is, yeah. uh, like you say, out of the natural language processing right. side so, of ML, right? Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a basically a sequence to sequence. So it's, it's taking uh, text from, say, uh, English and converting it into an equivalent text into French or something else, right? So... Um, having a natural language processor transformer that can do that in a, a rather efficient basis uh, is the whole idea of transformer space. So it's basically taking, taking um, tokens or this sequence from one language to another language. Oh. And so um, uh, what, what this is saying now is that it, it isn't just con constrained to just NLP, right? So now you can use it for looking at large data sets that are uh, audio or large data sets that are um, you know, imagery, and then converting that into something that's that you intended to do. So you're taking those models, uh, transfer learning, essentially, taking the transfer learning from one model into another set of models. That's essentially what this is talking. The idea here is that you're moving away from just NLP, that you're using it for computer vision, as it says on there, and even mm -hmm. protein uh, structure prediction. 
this is important to me because I actually, uh, Michael, I don't know if we're still in the early, I spent some time in Qatar and I was, I was studying Arabic there. Right. So we would spend like hours just, just going through like uh, transcription, um, uh, data sets and stuff. So mm-hmm. now, you know, having a transformer that can actually do that faster and maybe more accurate than, um, and in the past, I think it's extremely helpful for something like, and, uh, uh, the hug and face transformer from a you know, Python perspective is an extremely popular, um, package on, um, GitHub. And that most people, it, it's, it's got about 53,000 likes at this point or stars at this point. Well, that's, and, that's comparable to Django and Flask <laughs> level of popularity. Yes, 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 yes. And, uh, they form partnership with uh, AWS. And so now you can spin up, um, uh, resources on AWS to use, uh, uh, hug and space, uh, transformers. And again, those transformers have models that you can use for transcription. You can use them for a vision, a computer vision, or even uh, like it's saying here for, uh, protein structure predictions. Yeah, cool. I'm very excited about what ML can do for medicine and biology research. I think, you know, machine learning and like recommendation engines and all sorts of stuff have good sides and bad sides and and all kinds of things. But uh, on the medical side, it seems like it's mostly good, right? If if you could say, actually, we can cure this disease because we understand how to create something that will bind to this protein because now we know its actual shape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's incredible, right? So predicting those shapes for protein is extremely important. I studied uh, chemistry in college and, and a little bit of biochemistry when I was in college. And, and knowing the structures for proteins is like extremely important, but it takes a long time to model those, those structures, right? Now you, you can do it pretty easily on uh, using transformers. I think it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah, there's probably less well-known ways around uh, more like physical chemistry as well, right? Like trying to understand different kinds of batteries and, and things like that potentially, that, you know, don't get all the press. Well, I'm I'm thinking that maybe we're not too terribly far away from universal translators and in, in AirPods. That would be cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that would be actually pretty amazing. I mean, we're pretty close with Google Translate. You can speak to it and then show it to someone in their language and then they can, I can think you can even make it read back and like you can really clumsily do it. But yeah. what you're envisioning is just like natural conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And have it be in their voice too. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You, know, you got to wait five seconds for it to calculate a deep fake, then you can start talking. <laughs> well, now, but like our, our kids are going to be like using these things probably. Yeah, so. no, I think you're totally right there. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good pick there, Morley. Great. Before we thank our sponsor, I want to just give a quick shout out to John Sheehan's comment here that Python launcher, the Pi thing that Brian spoke about, looks like a nice package and a better alternative to the Pi alias I created on my Linux laptop. Oh man, you and me both, I my <laughs> .zshrc is full of alias this, alias that, many of them starting with P to do something with Python. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to list like Pi, like make up aliases for pi 38 pi 39 just to and then i couldn't remember if i had a dot in it or not was it 3.8 3 mm. <laughs> yeah anyway yep yep cool all right before we move on though i do want to tell you about our sponsor shortcut thank you shortcut formerly clubhouse for sponsoring the show check them out at shortcut.com slash python bytes or brian do you know what else that people can do now what we've started adding chapters chapter yeah. images, chapter links. So I guess you could even click the chapter link right here in your podcast player or in the podcast show notes. So that's pretty awesome. But however you get to them, you know, thank you to Shortcut for sponsoring this episode. They've built simple project management tools that 
grow with your engineering team and don't get too complex, but are not too simplistic. So some of the highlights include team-based workflows. So individual teams can use shortcuts default workflows, or they can customize them. Organizational wide goals and roadmaps let like the overall organization define workflows and then tie these smaller team ones into the larger workflow and kind of get a big organization-wide view. VCS, version control integration, so it works with GitHub, GitLab, and Bitbucket, and it can tie them, tie your items in your project management back over into what's happening there. And you can even do that from the command line, which is cool. As almost all web apps should have, but many don't, Shortcut has a bunch of keyboards, so you can use their power bar and use hotkeys all over their web app mm. to just zoom around because like someone like Brian, who would rather be in Vim mode and not take his hands off the keyboard, can uh, cruise around. Nice. It does iteration planning and will automatically schedule how that should go along if you don't want to customize it. So give it a try over at shortcut.com slash Python bytes because you shouldn't have to manage your project management. So yeah, thank you to Shortcut for sponsoring the show. Now... Let's go back to Django. <laughs> and I'm going to tie this together. So Morley has a background in Django. Brian, you have clearly a bunch of testing. So let's talk about testing Django models. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So one of the problems you might need to do in your test is you are going to create some data models and then you want to do stuff with them, right? You want to pass them off to a function or whatever. And so that can be a bit of a hassle. So I, I want to tell you about model bakery, which are smart fixtures for better parenthesis Django tests. <laughs> That's not quite there, but for better tests uh, for Django code. So the idea is it's like Faker or Mockaroo or something like that, but for Django or our models. And it specifically understands things like relationships and, and whatnot. So pretty cool. You can come over here and do things like you've got your Django model defined as it does, right? Derived models has fields, which are columns like email fields, character fields, and so on. And then when you want to use it, you just go to the baker and you say make a, you know, in this case, it's um, like a shop, like an online e-commerce shop. So you can say shop.purchasehistory is the namespace of the class. And then guess what? It'll populate it with customers and emails and all kinds of stuff. That's cool, right? Yeah, it is. It's very cool. Yeah. And then you could also set up model-to-model -model relationships. So you can say, I want you to, when I create a purchase history, for example, it also has a products you can say, make the model-to-model -model relationships for me and mock those out as well. So then in your test, you can work with uh, your purchase history object and say dot products and then you know loop over them, do count, whatever. Right? It's like a collection of sub or related models that were baked up for you. Wow. Yeah, you wow. can even go and say, prepare when <laughs> prepare something to bake. <laughs> when, uh, when you ask, somebody gives you a product, I want you to uh, or create me a product of five of these. And then as you make a purchase history, also use uh, those five as the related object instead of guessing or randomizing or whatever. It's cool, right? That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So if you're out there writing tests for Django, specifically the relationships, I think is where this is, is pretty interesting. But man, it's kind of interesting all over, right? It'll, I, I suspect it'll do things like create emails if the model says, here's an email field, and it'll create integers, if it says, here's an integer field, and just take care of that for you. Oh, that's very cool. So do you know, is it, is it another, like a, another fake system, or is it using uh, Baker or something under the hood, do you know? Now, that is a good question. What kind of project uh, 
<laughs> I could go are, find are out, I guess. No, but. no, no. Like, all right, so let's go check out the requirements here. It's just Django. It has its only requirement is Django. Django. Wow. It doesn't mm-hmm. use like um, Baker or anything like that. So I'm guessing it's its own thing. Nice. Cool. I seem like it. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Thanks. All right, Brian. Um, you going to cover this next one for us or what? <laughs> yeah, I'll cover this one. Um, uh, yeah, that's one of my goals. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, good comeback. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, Ned Batchelder, um, is, um, the maintainer for, uh, coverage.py excellent tool. And he's, uh, he's a great person to have at the helm there. Uh, but he, um, he's says that he's got, uh, had requests for like, one of the things you can do with coverage is you can incorporate it in your, um, your testing tool chain and CI and stuff to say that coverage has to be at a certain level. So you can say it has to be hundred percent if you want to do that, or you can say, well, at least what, what is the current percentage? And we want to make sure that we don't drop it. So you like, let's say you're at 75, you want to make sure that we don't drop below 75, but the, he's had requests for per file thresholds, um, which is an interesting idea. But instead of giving us per file thresholds, he's um, he's got like this proof, proof of concept thing called goals.py. And it's just a, a snippet that you can uh, download yourself and try it out. But it's a little tiny script, but it um, it uses the, the coverage data after the fact. So coverage uh, generates a report and then you can do things on it. But this what this uh, goals thing does is it kind of acts like another stage. So you can you can set up these in your pipeline to to check for these. And if and it'll have an exit code that um, indicates to your CI system that it failed. But uh, for instance, you can say uh, all of the, I want all my tests to be 100% covered, but my source code, um, maybe 85% for those. And, but like maybe the HTML part of it, I want to really want, or like all the code that is dealing with HTML, that I want to make sure that it's really tested. So I want 100% coverage there. But in general, you could 90%. So he has an example set up. Uh, to do just what I said of, of that. So there's these glob groups that you can say, you know, the 85% for everything that's a Python file except for the tests and then have a different Interesting. Rule for the tests. So the way you basically do it is a CLI thing and then you pass in yeah. file patterns like star.py or star HTML star.py or whatever, right? And you can even do nods, which is interesting. Yeah, and one of the things he's talking about is just he wants to... Um, uh, wants to have people try this and say, is this kind of, does this satisfy what you wanted or is there something else that's needed? Do we really need per file? I uh, actually what? would hate to have per file because it would. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. One quick way to like accomplish per file is just to put the file name as the pattern. Right. I mean, so it like, this is a superset of per file testing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, potentially. But I, I, I believe that he's probably right that there's um and there's a link in here to say if you want to comment on this, go to the original feature request and do a comment. But there um he's probably right that like it's not really a per file thing. It's that there's different sections of the system that you want to have uh yeah. have specifics. Or like for instance, uh with the not, you could say, well, everything except for there's this one file that I know it's a problem, but we don't care about it, uh maybe exclude yeah. that. Oh, the wow. developer who wrote it quit. Nobody understands it. We're not touching it. Please don't <laughs> complain to us about it. We have no intention of touching it. <laughs> or maybe it's the splash th- screen. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, some yeah. things throw up a splash image and, you know, really, if that's wrong, who cares um, sort of thing. But that's anyway. very cool. Yeah, it's a good one. Nice find. And I, I like the uh, generalization of it. Well done, Ned. All right. Morley. So 
There's a lot of stuff about economic news these days, yeah, especially right. uh, uh, DeFi and DeFi Ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin and, and, and uh, um, oh, NFTs, right? So it's it's oh already out there. Yeah. So my brother is an artist and uh, worked for a long time doing just like insurance stuff and project management stuff, and okay. and is now started getting into NFT stuff because yeah. he's finally putting yeah. his uh, master's degree in art to use, which is fantastic. I'm yeah, happy yeah, for yeah. Him. It's it's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. And, and just the thought about like um, making digital assets valuable. D digital scarcity, right? Yeah, like scarcity, the, the thing right? of digital was you could copy right, it. Right, 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 right. And, and over the past, I mean, I've been looking at this over the past six months or so, and I'm just curious, I'm just, you know, where does this go in terms of like, how can you use digital assets as scarcity, but, you know, provide value eventually. So artists can actually, you know, get paid and or, or 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 make make use of their their art, make it make it available out there, and get and get value from it. So Ethereum, though, is like one of those blockchains that pretty much I think about I, I want to say eighty to ninety percent of all NFTs reside on Ethereum mm -hmm. blockchain. Right, I think so. Um, yeah, yeah I think it's definitely so, popular. Yeah, and so of course the language there is um, um, Solidity, but to interface with um, the blockchain, there's this library called web3.py right so instead of instead of using uh, javascript now you can use uh, web3.py web um, to actually interface with ethereum blockchain so basically you can write smart contracts there but you can also um, uh, get information from the blockchain itself or post information into the blockchain so i this is something i i found and i'm actually looking into it and i thought i want to share that with uh, the community just yeah community. it's interesting yeah so there's an ethereum.org slash Python for Python tutorials. There's a quick start right. uh, and it, so on. Yeah. Right. If you roll down, you can see uh, what it takes to actually get it installed and, and use it for um, some of the protocols that are required. So it's actually pretty good. Um, I've used it just a couple of times. And I'm still playing around with it, but I think it's uh, instead of using something else, if you're familiar with Python, uh, this is a very comfortable transition if you're curious about blockchain or Ethereum. So, <laughs> yeah. So you could build your own platforms and your own integrations, not just own Ethereum coins. Right. And so you can be the old smart contract, right? Which is just logic, essentially, uh, send ether or CV ether, or, or if it's NFTs, uh, again, how do you interface with the blockchain with, um, uh, cryptography? So, so, um, uh, web three point web three point PY, I think is extremely helpful from a perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat to see Python applied in so many different places. Yeah, everywhere, everywhere, right? Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cool. All right. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great find. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Brian, it's time for extras. Extra. What, extra. what you got for us? What do you line up for us here? I actually don't have any extras today. No extra. There's no extra, extra, extra. Read all about it. <laughs> no. All right. I'll, I'll take care you? of it. I got you covered here, <laughs> as you might imagine. So I want to give people an update on McFly. I mentioned McFly a little while ago. McFly is sweet. Uh, it allows you to install it. And it's kind of like reverse search of your shell commands, be that bash, Z shell, fish, whatever, but way better, right? You get like an Emacs interface <laughs> to your history and you can delete it. You can edit your history. So if you mistype something and you want to save it, or you see like, oh, geez, we'll put the password in there. I want to get that out of my history file. You can do that. So you just hit control R after you install it. And it gives you this, this awesome interactive view. Uh, I just want to tell people that I've been playing with this and totally loving it. Like now I've, I've taken it for a spin for a while and I really, really dig it. I've even set up the uh, fuzzy matching so it doesn't have to exactly match what I've done in history, which is 
pretty cool. So I could now, with some experience, give that a thumbs up. Nice. 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 Also, a couple exciting things about Python Web Conference. If you're looking to speak somewhere and you want that somewhere to be on the internet, you should check out Python Web Conf. This is like a five-day conference. It's one of the biggest virtual conferences going these days, I think. And it's interactive presentations or live presentations over the internet and then uh, chat and so on. So um, we've nice. had Calvin, one of the organizers of it on before. And at the, the news is they've extended their call for papers out into November, November 15th. So you got 12 more days, maybe 11 if I'm slow releasing this one. And also I'm going to be talking about Flask and HTMX over there because I'm still psyched about that. So that's nice. next year, early next year, but uh, people can check that out. Nice. All right. What else have I got for us, Brian? So um, the new MacBook Pros, like the super expensive MacBook Pros have come out. Uh, there's an interesting review. I'm not super thrilled with it, but it, over at ours, they usually do a pretty good job. But I do want to read a fun quote from it. And they say, uh, rest assured, if you didn't like the direction that Apple has been taking with the MacBook Pro for the last five years, this laptop feels like an explicit apology for all that. The result <laughs> is it's the best, lap best laptop money can buy for many use cases, provided you have a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I found pretty interesting is the power supply for that thing is 140 watts. Oh, wow. That's insane for a laptop that you carry around the power supply. Wow. So I came across this thing called... Anchor Nano 2, 65 watt. And it's, it's, uh, if you put it up next to, uh, that's not, well, enough. it's, it's, well, hold on. It's barely bigger than the brick that you used to charge an iPhone, like an American brick, not a UK brick, which has got to be giant because the size of the plug. Right. But it's like super small and light. And yeah, it seems like it's not enough. But with my, I got a MacBook Pro Max and I've been using it. And this 65 watt thing will charge it just fine. Wow. So unless you're wow. doing like machine learning or video exporting or something that completely nails it, like this will charge like 25% in an hour, even though it's supposed to take uh, 140 watts, you can give it this little tiny thing. So I haven't done enough to really give it 100%, like absolutely this is going to work all the time. But my new plan is to travel with this tiny little thing and a, wow. like a long USB-C or Thunderbolt cable. Interesting, right? That's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Could cool. you put two in there? I don't think, <laughs> maybe it'll catch fire if you do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but like here, you have the picture, like it's like less than half the size of the the charger, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. And that's a 60 watt charger right there, not the 140 watt charger. 140. All right. And finally, I want to say that if people who have an M1, not an M1 Max or Pro, you can pretty much not have FOMO about this thing. Like as far as I can tell, my Mac mini and my much more expensive MacBook Pro are exactly the same speed. Oh, really? Okay. I think almost always, except one thing I found is for outputting video. I've, I found I could re-encode or I could encode the videos for talk by on training more efficiently. Uh, and I re-encoded the entire library, which is like 20, 220, 230 hours in multiple formats. It took 14 days of compute time. Not I got around to do it in 14 days, like start. It finished 14 days later. And it's actually three over three times faster with the M1 Max. So, so just that, like three or four days. Yeah, it's only five days, which is still a long time. Yeah. But it's way better than 13, 14 days. 13, let 14 me tell you. days. <laughs> yeah. So, I think also this will have a really interesting knock-on effect for ML. More like, right, I mean, right, it's got right. like the the onboard machine learning block, and no, it's got a thirty-two core GPU. I think there's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming along that's pretty interesting there. What no, do you think? That's, no, no, no. It's absolutely you're absolutely right. I have a friend that works for Google, 
does the same thing with that I do. And um, him and I were talking. I have just the the, the later version of uh, MacBook Pro, and I wasn't going to wait for another one to come out. But uh, it has a lot of the components and a lot of capacity that I need to do my works. So instead of just putting your stuff on like AWS, and now you can run them locally, and it's <laughs> it's extremely powerful. So this is this is extremely good. Especially yeah, M1, it's M one M yeah. one. The new stuff is, is quite yeah. new. It's seriously yeah. impressive. Uh, as Sam has said out there, I totally agree. Very impressive. Yeah. Morley, anything else you want to throw out for people while you got the mic? You know, I just uh, want to say thanks to you and Brian, right? So again, I've been listening to you guys for a very long time and um, I've come this far partly because I've been listening to you guys. Just the encouragement. Yeah, I think nice. you guys, every day, every time I listen to you guys, you guys, you guys are talking to me, not to a large group of audience. I think it's extremely helpful to just see you guys be part of the community. And uh, shout out to Pi, Pi Bay in San Francisco. Uh, those guys are real cool. And Michael, thanks for coming out there and talking to yeah. us. Uh, that was a, a great trip a few weeks ago. That was <laughs> a few weeks ago, so it was real good. So I want to thank you guys for the work that you guys do. And uh, um, um, we'll continue to listen to you guys and be part of the community. Yeah, yeah thanks. thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's a lot of times we put stuff out there and there's not a lot of feedback, but you know, people are out there listening. Then, then you meet folks and talk to them. You're like, actually, that it, it has an impact, which is really great. You know, for me, it has a particular impact, right? So like like I took a journey and that it's, I am where I'm at today because again, partly because of uh, the work that you guys do. I'm listening to you guys doing a lot of the research and following up on a lot of the uh, topics that you guys have on the show. So it's um, it's taken me a long way because um, this because I listen to you guys a lot. That's yeah, good. thank you so much. Yep. Yep. All right, Brian, we ready for a joke? Yeah. Finish up with a smile. Well, <laughs> well, I just wanted to comment that maybe... The next version of MacBook Pro might you might have to charge it in the laundry room because that's the only one with a, a plug that's strong enough. <laughs> yeah, if it gets a two forty volt, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's but I, it. the thing is, it it almost never runs at that right. It'll go for like fourteen, fifteen hours. It's only if you're doing like insane stuff. And also, you can plug in three Thunderbolt USB three things, and each one of those it'll provide up to fifteen watts of output from the laptop. Oh, wow. So I think it's also While trying to pass. It? Yeah, I think it's trying to pass through 45 watts. So it needs a charger that can account for how much does the Mac need plus 45 more watts. Right. Because uh, you plugged it into all these Thunderbolt okay. thingies. Okay. Yeah, anyway, I've been trying to think about why it really needs someone that's so high. <laughs> Chris May is going to hook, <laughs> hook us up to like a, a level three DC fast charger. Charge that thing up in five minutes on the car. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this one comes to us from the variable XKCD and it talks to us about programming standards. <laughs> so how standards proliferate. See AC chargers, very uh, timely, <laughs> yeah. character encodings, instant messaging, and so on. I'm, talk I'm thinking network protocols. Remember, this is a follow-on from the joke of uh, what is soap? <laughs> and then rest. Well, what the heck was wrong with soap? I know G GPRC is better than rest. Ah, the torture never ends. Okay, so this is a follow up from that. And here it is uh, uh, a man and woman developer saying, talking. It says, situation. There are 14 competing standards. 14 ridiculous. We need to develop one universal standard that covers everyone's use cases. Yeah, soon. Situation. There are 15 competing standards. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only thing going in the other direction is cellular standards. They seem to be uh, oh, really? coalescing. Um, so, but Wi-Fi is going crazy. Uh, but anyway, it's just one standard, but it comes out with a new version about every six months. 
Good thing they don't bake those into uh, hardware and <laughs> chips and stuff. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do. <laughs> they That's might. a good thing they do. I'd be out of business if they didn't. Exactly. So. Got The testing never ends. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Morley. This was yeah, a really bet. fun episode. Yep. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. And thanks everybody on the the chat and on uh, on the stream for watching. Bye all. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter via at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B-Y-T-E-S. Get the full show notes over at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item we should cover, just visit pythonbytes.fm and click submit in the nav bar. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. If you want to join us for the live recording, just visit the website and click live stream to get notified of when our next episode goes live. That's usually happening at noon Pacific on Wednesdays over at YouTube. On behalf of myself and Brian Aachen, this is Michael Kennedy. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.